0: Welcome to the Peace Catalyst podcast where we share stories to uplift, inspire, and encourage you in your peacemaking journey. I'm Becca Teivel and I work with Peace Catalyst here in the Washington D.C. area and this week I'm actually joined by a new podcast co-host um, Allie Bernison, who is going to be jumping on as the new Peace Catalyst podcast co-host. Welcome Allie.
1: Thank you so much. It is so, so great to be part of the PCI podcast now on a regular basis. Um, so my name is Allie. As Becca said, I am on staff with PCI and I'm based in Los Angeles, California. And so I you know, come from a journalism background, so I love storytelling and I love what you've been doing with the podcast. So I'm just so so excited to be part of it
0: i'm so happy that you are and it's just awesome to have you join um and just so our listeners know keith giles is not gonna be gone forever he (laughs) we are excited to have him come back on the podcast to you know talk about the things that he's most passionate about um and kind of explore more of the um go deeper on different topics within peacemaking. So Keith is not going to be the official co-host on a regular basis, but you will definitely be hearing from him again. Um, yeah. Thanks, Ali, so much for jumping in.
1: Of course. Yeah. Mighty big shoes to fill for sure. <laughs> um, but yes, excited to continue hearing from Keith for sure.
0: Yeah. I'm going to miss like our little Marvel discussions. Are you a Marvel fan? I am
2: not. Oh no.
0: <laughs> if, if that's a deal breaker, I can become one.
1: But yes, I mean I'm engaged to a certain extent. I've definitely seen some of the movies, not not every single Marvel movie that's ever been made, but
0: it's not, a deal, not okay, a deal breaker. Okay,
1: that's my first project. Become yeah. A, become an expert.
0: <laughs> Peacemaking is the most important thing. So uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs>
1: so yes if you enjoy the peace catalyst podcast and what becca and keith have been doing you can do us a favor and take some time to rate and review the podcast on itunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts this just helps boost our visibility and encourages others to also listen to what the conversations that we're having
0: yeah absolutely thank you guys in advance for doing that.
1: Yes. So every week you have been doing, we have been doing a peace quote. And so today the quote is brought to you from Melanie Greenberg, who is the director of peacebuilding at Humanity United and the former president and CEO of Alliance for Peace Building. And the quote is, peace is not something that happens on its own, Peace needs to be carefully, creatively, and thoughtfully built every day.
0: Yeah, I love that quote, and I I think it's really relevant to the conversation that we're going to be having today on the podcast um, with these amazing women um, that we're going to introduce shortly. But Mm -hmm. I love this idea of, you know, it's something that is required of us every single day. It's not just like... A short-term project that you complete or a one-time program that you do um but building peace is really a full-time um commitment and living that out requires a lot of yeah careful creative thoughtful um ideas and approaches to um fostering peace in our communities so i love that yeah mm-hmm. And um, we're really excited this week. We are kicking off a brand new series on Afghanistan. Um, you know, we've been seeing a lot about what's been happening there in the news and um, obviously very heartbroken by the collapse of the peace process. And um seeing so many Afghan people having to flee the country. Um, so we just wanted to take some time to um, listen to those voices and hear from Afghans, as well as those who are are working alongside them for peace. Um, in Afghanistan, who've been working alongside them for a long time now, um, and also working with refugees locally um, and hearing from Afghan refugees locally just to um, get the chance to learn from them and their stories and see how we could be engaging as peacemakers on this topic.
1: Right. So this week, we have the privilege to interview several individuals from Mina's List. So the organization's executive director, Tanya Henderson, the advocacy director, Teresa Casale, and founding member of the Afghan Women's Network, Paul Washa Hassan. And Mina's List is an organization that seeks to build just and peaceful societies by advancing women's political leadership and participation globally. So They champion equal and substantive representation for women in national governments around the world. So they do incredible work and have been for many years now um, in Afghanistan and in other countries as well. So um, I am really looking forward to this conversation.
0: Well, we are so incredibly honored to have all of you with us today on the Peace Catalyst podcast. Um, Tanya, Teresa, and Kalwasha, thank you so much for joining us. Um, really incredibly honored to um, learn from you all and your work with Nina's List and um, to give our listeners a chance to learn from you all as well. So thank you for your time. Um, Tanya, I'm wondering if you could um, just kick us off and introduce yourself and Nina's list. Sure. Good morning, and, um, and
3: thank you so much. Um, this is such an exciting conversation, um, and I'm, I'm really excited to, to hear what we're all going to, to um, un- uncover and unpack today. Um, but my name is Tanya Henderson. I am a human rights, women's rights lawyer by training. Um, But I've been working on the Women, Peace, and Security agenda um, under UN Security Council Resolution 1325, always a mouthful, um, since 2009. And then worked on the U.S. um, National Action Plan on Women, Peace, and Security, and then the Women, Peace, and Security Act of 2017, which eventually got introduced and, um, and through that work came to the realization, the awakening um, that we needed women decision makers and policy makers to really implement this in many ways, what had been a grassroots civil society agenda of women activists pushing for women's inclusion and in peacemaking, conflict prevention, peace building and um and so with um actually with coll- collaboratively with 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 Palwasha and um and her sister shinkai Karokal, who's an mp from afghanistan came up with the concept for mina's list um and so mina's list partners with in-country women's rights and peace organizations and have has them identify grassroots women's leaders that help get women um, that could be good political leaders and, and really advance a women's rights and peace agenda at that high-level decision-making. So we founded MENA's List in 2014 and have been working um, to help get women elected to parliament in Afghanistan um, since 2015. And, um, and the model, I think, has been pretty um, effective. Like in 2018, we trained 50 aspiring women candidates in Afghanistan from 32 of 34 different provinces. And of those women, 37 became candidates, 8 won new parliamentary seats. Um, and so I really think that collective model uh, of women, um, civil society and women political leaders working together um, really has, has built that. So that's, um, that's, that's me and Mina's list.
0: Yeah. Wow, that is incredible, Tanya. It's so humbling to hear about the important work that you're all doing and um, to see that, you know, giving women that opportunity to step into positions of leadership um, is incredible. So um, thank you. And Teresa, can you also introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your policy and advocacy work?
4: Sure. So um, my name is Teresa Casali, and thank you so much, Becca um, and Ali, for having us on this morning. And um, as you mentioned, I'm the director of policy and advocacy for MENA's List. So it is my job to make sure that U.S. policymakers in particular um, always have, um, number one, the Women, Peace, and Security agenda Um Uh, top of mind, but of course, um, Afghan women in particular, especially these past two years, as we've been focusing in um, on that area of the world and everything that has unfolded. Uh, And so I came um, to this work also with a background at the Women, Peace and Security Agenda, not nearly as uh, long and involved as as Tanya um, and Pal and some of the others, but um, with uh, a skill set in um, policy advocacy uh, jumped in as the Women, Peace, and Security Act was passing. Uh, and then um, as it was, we were um, focusing then on implementation, once it was successfully passed, uh, it was clear that um, women in Afghanistan were some of the most, um, that, w- that we needed to focus our um, our efforts there, most particularly because of everything that was at stake and and remains at stake. Uh, so that's my area um, of of work. And um, and before the Women Peace and Security Agenda, I was peace building uh, more broadly, uh, particularly in um, Israel Palestine, as you know well.
0: Thanks, Teresa. Yes, <laughs> it's been so fun to partner with you on that. And I know that um, even at our church community here in DC, you've been speaking to our community about the importance of women in peace building and how that impacts peace processes. So we've learned a lot from you in that area. Um, it's great to be with you again. Thank you. Yeah. And Palwasha, could you please also introduce yourself and um, some of your women's rights work in Afghanistan?
2: Thank you. Uh, so I'm Palwasha Hassan, and I'm so glad to be here today with Tanya and Teresa and all of you. Um I think um, uh, much that Tanya said, I feel so proud that uh, I had small contribution and being with her uh, supporting her uh, bigger vision for women, especially political empowerment. Uh, but my work started in Afghanistan almost 25 years back or 26 years uh, back uh, when I was still uh, younger woman, uh, refugee woman in Pakistan, and I was going to school. Um, uh, and the kind of sense that I had for my community and women. Um, and um, I had the chance uh, through the organization, which I've been working um, just few months before as a director, uh, EWIC, Afghan Women Educational Center. I was volunteering there And I went to this wonderful conference called uh, uh, Beijing Young Women Leaders Program. And I think that uh, young leadership program has really changed my look to the whole issue of women empowerment, working together and starting a platform where uh, women can uh, uh, mobilize themselves, uh, strategize for, um advocacy, which uh, was not so familiar at that time among Afghan women, and um, uh, and in my return, we sorted sort of the layout of the Afghan women network, and uh, I think since then I haven't looked back. And uh, each year we came with some idea. Two thousand one, when U.S. government has um, uh, started attacking Afghanistan, uh, uh, when the Taliban regime has violated um, the sort of aftermath of nine eleven, so we our idea of women in peace started from that point, uh, asking for U.S. not to bomb Afghanistan and um, engage in in a more peaceful dialogue in Afghanistan, and let's um afghan not to suffer uh, anymore uh, and that uh, has become an integrated agenda in afghan women network then which was passed on through different um uh, uh management which came over uh, over the years and uh, um, um uh, but i was working with um uh, different projects um in 2002 when there was political changes in afghanistan and, and there was more possibility for women to work. Um, I, I have started as a first woman, um, a, a sort of donor with managing uh, some small funds for women. And I had the first time chance of traveling to different provinces of the country. So many of these small initiatives, which we were sort of seeing at the seed funding, has turned to big organization over the years in Badakhshan, in Balkh, in uh, Herat, in in, uh, Eastern region. And so, uh, and that was kind of like uh, work that I still um, support uh, that because I see women groups as a real change maker in women's life and giving them that chance of empowerment. Um, uh, that was some of the work. And then I've been involved uh, because with every post conflict agenda, there is always reforms and uh, laws in the country. And I've been involved uh, in at least four laws that has been um uh, had uh, direct impact on women's situation from constitution of afghanistan then uh, the um family law and then uh, personal law and um uh, eradicating violence against women law i think that was like kind of um uh, big big benchmark in my career um, um we we achieved a lot through the constitution for Uh, the clause on equality for more political participation of women, especially around uh, women political participation, Uh, the quota that we have secured um, almost two uh, women from each province in Afghanistan, that was huge kind of like achievement that uh, had, but other than that I have been involved for several years with women education and girls education and young women leadership. Um, So it has been huge and it looks to me like I've been involved everywhere, but that is the um, thinking like in Afghanistan, because we suddenly had a few opportunity opening with the political change in Afghanistan. And, and we um, didn't look like, um, we shouldn't lose this opportunity and whatever is possible to support women empowerment. And I think women have women in Afghanistan generally took uh, bigger uh, advantages of partnership with the international community, uh, with women rights organizations such as MENA List and um, uh, several others to make sure that we, we stay like a strong partner and be able to make change in uh, women and girls' life in Afghanistan. So unfortunate, uh, mid-August, uh, still continuing my work, sitting in office and um, although for for some months we knew that uh, there there are some changes happening, not changes. Unfortunately, Afghanistan was falling to Taliban back, um, uh, and uh, but we thought like maybe till the last moment we are able to make some changes uh, in women life and continue our struggle. And there was a moment that we had to maybe take a pause or give up. I don't want to say the word give up, it's a stronger word. But uh, I think at some moment, it became more important uh, to survive. Um, and had to focus on family members and uh, ourselves. And so through that process, um, myself and my family have been evacuated uh, through humanitarian parole and through support of my friends, uh, like Tanya and others who helped um, to make sure that women are included along other military targets, because um, the concern is always partnership for the governments with the people who help them, them help them in war, maybe not in peace, <laughs> and we were that part. Um, our contribution was not taken important in in by policymakers. Uh, we were seen as less contributors. At the point, at times, we were considered spoilers. Uh, uh, mm. But we knew, like we are seeing peace, uh, much bigger than uh, being involved in the military. Or um, our our biggest weapon was writing letters. Our biggest um, uh, weapon was. Uh, and speaking in um, uh, webinars and uh, uh, policy recommendation and stuff like that. Uh, a lot of times women went on the street. So these are the continuous advocacy that uh, I've been involved in um, uh, now in the U.S. Um, I will soon be starting some work with Georgetown. I feel so privileged uh, that I'm getting some work uh, to continue some of my work and try to reflect on the experience that I've got over the years um, and also have the time uh, how to make sure that Afghanistan experience and that we had through organization like AWEC and several others uh, we still stay connected to that, but also make sure that uh, we don't lose our achievement. We have always been calling on policymakers to help us. Uh, we know nobody helped us with that, but I think we trust ourselves and we trust our partners and friends. With their help, we can still continue uh, this and make mm-hmm. sure that um, uh, women activists, women's rights, still matters and still remain relevant when there is any talk regarding Afghanistan so I stop here
0: thank you so much Pawasha and thank you for sharing your story with us and being willing to um, talk with us a little bit more about the work that you're doing and um, you know your experience and it's awesome to hear that you'll be planted at Georgetown and continuing to um, to build that work build upon that work and um, yeah, continue advocating for women's rights and political involvement. Um, and going off of that, I was wondering if all of you could maybe expound upon um, just giving us a little more background on the the women's peace forum that you all have been um, facilitating, and if you could talk a little bit about, you know, for our listeners, um, why was it important for women to be a part of of that process of Mm -hmm. building peace. And, um, you know, if women had been involved more um, directly, what what would that have looked like and how might that have impacted the peace process? Um, I think just framing, framing the context of what was going on at the
3: time. um, So actually following the 2018 elections where, you know, we had eight new women members of parliament get elected on a women's and peace platform, five of them from Taliban controlled regions. Um, Two months later, President Trump um, began to negotiate a quote, unquote, peace agreement with the Taliban. Um, And I think everyone was honestly quite Shocked. I mean, first and foremost, why is the U.S. negotiating peace with the Taliban? Right, right. Why wasn't this an internal Afghan government, um, uh, Afghan pe- populace, um, you know, uh, peace negotiation? Um, but that said, that that's what began to happen, and um, so our partners. Um, our, our women's organizations in, in Afghanistan, like PAL and um, and others that work with the Afghan Women's Network, Maria Krami and, and many of the other women leaders, um, said, "Well, we have to be included. We have to be part of this process. You know, the U.S. cannot negotiate a quote-unquote peace agreement with the Taliban and essentially negotiate away the twenty years worth of work that we have um, dedicated our lives, put our lives at risk, um, to secure." So, um the women be organized as as they um, so astutely and strategically do came up with um, nominated a delegation, came up with policy recommendations, and began lobbying the international community the u s um, to be included in those peace talks um, and uh, This was, what, January 2015, I believe, February 2015. We actually, we were able to raise money. Mina's List helped raise money along with our partners to send the women there. And long story short, they weren't issued the visas to attend any of those talks. Um, This advocacy then turned into a much broader coalition. In many ways, um, it mobilized um, women leaders across Afghanistan, and they'd be, um, uh, and I'll let Pal talk a little bit more about what was going on in-country, but two coalitions came out of this. One was the Our Voices, Our Future, um, which mobilized women across Afghanistan, and the other was um, Stronger Together, which was an international coalition of Afghan women leaders, Afghan women diaspora, and then those of us that work um, to support Afghan women um, in, in peace, security, women's rights. And these became very, very active. So um, fast forward, you know, a year later. Um, and and when I say very active, I mean we had policy meetings. We, you know, were doing recommendations. As Pal mentioned, many letters were written. Um, but fast forward a year later, when the intra Afghan talks began, um, again women said, women civil society leaders said, okay, this is great. You've got four official members of the Afghan negotiation team, but where, where are the women's voices from the ground? Um, we need to be included. So that's when, um, uh, the stronger together coalition mean as with some of our other partners came up with this concept of, um, first, it was a, a peace forum um, that would be held in parallel to the talks. Um, and then, um, and actually, that was going to include two hundred women for a week, you know, in Doha with multiple different activities and events on peace building, peace relations, outcome documents. Um, and then President Biden got elected and fast tracked the peace process to have this Istanbul peace conference, where essentially he was going to tie up the the Afghan peace talks in in three weeks. Um, so once again, the women pivoted, and then we. Um, work to have a parallel peace process for Afghan women with 100 women from across Afghanistan. Um, And these women were going to come to Turkey. We got permissions from we had support from the highest levels of essentially all multilateral stakeholders. So the UN, UNAMA, US, Norway, even Afghan government um, to have these women come and present their recommendations, present their red lines um, on what women thought should be included in that peace process. And I think I'm gonna stop here and tag team Teresa to, okay, now we're in Turkey, then what happens? And then maybe Pal can take us on to how we pivoted in Kabul.
4: Yes, it was um, something I will absolutely never forget. We worked very, very hard to uh, organize that event in Istanbul and uh, work with our uh, international partners to get the um, the delegates uh, identified and mobilized and ready to fly um from Kabul to Istanbul, of course, they came from the pro- provinces all across the country, which is, you know, can be very difficult. Um, and uh, Tanya and I flew out to Istanbul and uh, were completely ready to receive them and execute the event. Um, when, uh, as soon as we we landed, we um, received messages that the Taliban was boycotting the talks and would not be coming. Um, also at the same time, um, we were planning all of this during COVID and gatherings of any kind were a little bit um, difficult to pull off. Uh, and uh, so with those complications, the government of Turkey denied the visas of women uh, once again to be able to come. Uh, but we said, um, okay, well, these talks can still happen. The US was saying they're merely delayed. Um, you know, that, that we'll still uh, get the Taliban here and make sure that it happens. So we, uh, we set up shop in uh, the hotel where we were supposed to um, meet everybody. And two days later, um, the president gave uh, um, his speech of um, non-conditional and complete withdrawal of U.S. troops by September 11th. And um, with that announcement, we, we knew that the Taliban definitely wasn't going to show up uh, to the table that they no longer had incentive to do so um, and essentially um, the the peace process and the parallel peace process were cancelled um, uh, we thought maybe there's still a possibility that this could happen um, but we're not entirely sure when I um, said okay well I'm I'm going home and uh, I went home to my family in California Tanya stayed uh, just in case something um, you know was it was going to be cobbled together to still happen. Um, But meanwhile, we had uh, 100 women um, sitting in Kabul ready to get on a plane the next day. And that absolutely did not happen. Um, But we were able to to pivot a bit. And for that part, um, I will send us over to Palwasha.
2: So uh, yeah, I mean, this was not the first time, first of all, like, um, in the last moment, we had all these changes, which is which was affecting always our activity, our mobilization, and great planning. <laughs> um, and we were so ready for Turkey. Uh, women came from all the provinces, they were in Kabul. Um, uh, and here we knew like uh, we uh, we cannot go uh, and suddenly suddenly a lot of things changed. Uh, For different reasons, um, uh, besides what was issue with Taliban not agreeing to come to uh, Turkey, but also for other reasons, um, where a big number of women was seen, again, as an issue. So for 100 and so women who were ready, uh, we were told that maybe only 40 women can make it uh, to the next meeting. Anyhow, we thought like, um, uh, and the women were so eager, they came with a lot of thinking. And uh, so we organized uh, immediately um, uh, a meeting. And the next day was also Ramadan. For those who knows. it's a fasting month. And in the first day of uh, fasting month, um, a couple of us... Um, We spend the whole day of Ramadan in our office, Um, so um, I think here the issue of the faith and religion, everything comes, how do you see your own faith, in what way, and we see it like how we can do more work for uh, women and peace, and that is also part of the whole religion that we, um, uh, we follow uh so we spent the whole day and it was just before uh, the breaking fast that we left the office um uh in planning and the next day we organized um, a meeting for two days so um, uh, we had um, two and a half days actually we organized a workshop we discussed all the uh, concern topics uh, which we think were relevant to the turkey but overall to the um, uh, political discussion which was going be, t- were supposed to be going between uh afghanistan side the republican side and the uh, government uh, and taliban in that time um and see it how women uh, see those issues um where women see uh, how women see government how women see participation and um uh, all different topics from a very general and women lens we had this discussion collected uh, ideas and then women had presented their papers which was later on put into uh, um, one one or two pa- pages that we put together all those recommendations that women have made um of course it was disappointing that uh, none were able to have direct interaction women remain I know till the last moment women wanted to speak and negotiate about their own rights on the table face to face with Taliban and other parties to tell them what is their view and to to uh, and the important point that the women were making that uh we we as women didn't see Uh, peace as a main domain. We were seeing it as uh, our uh, first concern. Um, uh, Unfortunately, that meeting didn't happen, but our points we tried to uh, convey through several different meetings and forums that uh, followed after that to reflect it in one or other way. Um, uh, I think that's it. Yeah, pal, that's amazing. Actually, can I jump back in
3: here? Um, because I, I always I feel like I feel like you're underselling the recommendations that came out of, of that conversation. And I'm sitting here, I just pulled back up, um, you know, the workshops um, that that pal was referring to, I think you had participation of upwards of like 90 women from across Afghanistan. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And, um, and they broke up into topical groups based on the various topics that were going to be discussed, um, were on the agenda to be discussed in the, between the Afghan government and the Taliban. So everything from governance and power sharing to ceasefire, monitoring, um, verification systems, you know, fundamental freedoms, um you know constitutional reform procedures so the women in their workshops dug deep um, on each of these these topics you know women's rights under Islamic law and came up with multiple actually 60 recommendations um, and and they were nuanced um, and strategic and um and even now when I re- reread them again I'm just reminded um how, how smart women are, and how um, smart and strategic and and thoughtful and precise, um, you know the 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 Afghan women were in in making these um, these these recommendations. So um, you know, I mean, I'm just going to throw one out just to give an idea. So, like, one topic was reintegration and, and rehabilitation. And um, and their recommendation was that any peace agreement must accelerate a comprehensive and inclusive demobilization, disarmament, reintegration and rehabilitation program. The program must include the collection of illegal and unregistered guns throughout the country. Illegal arms dealers, traders and traffickers inside and outside Afghanistan must be identified and brought to justice. And that's one of five recommendations just on that one topic. And, you know, how many in our whole, you know, in the international Uh, dialogue on, on peace and security in Afghanistan, you know, when have you really heard anybody else talking about demilitarization of Afghan society? of, you know, bringing, bringing, you know, arms dealers to justice, right? Like, you know, collection of, of illicit weapons. Um, this is what women bring to the table. And, um, and actually we were able to, um, Mina's list, um, actually with Teresa's help, and I'll let her talk a little bit about that. We're able to take those 60 recommendations from the women and then turn them into policy recommendations. And, um, I don't know if you want to continue, but Teresa, I'd love for you just to chime in there about what we did with those policy recommendations, including maybe even the Zoom meetings that were so cool.
4: Absolutely, and um, I think it, I think it's a really interesting and important part of the story um, because um, you're absolutely right. The this, the sixty recommendations were were much more than one to two pages, um, pal. They they went definitely longer than that, <laughs> uh, and they were so substantive and so. Um, important and I think still relevant, uh, even to this moment. But, um, afterwards, um, when we had this document and we realized that we needed to do something with it, fortunately, um, some of the relationships that, um, we have, uh, with Congress, you know, Congress has a long history of, of at least trying to, um, support Afghan women's rights and having it as a major, um, Policy um, priority, um, and so we worked with the Democratic Women's Caucus um, to pull um, to pull together an event where um, all one hundred of the women um, peace delegates actually were able to join a Zoom meeting. To uh, present these recommendations and talk about their experience with the um, with the peace process and give that information to uh, the women members of Congress um, themselves. You know they they weren't able to to give it to um, the peace negotiators in, in in Istanbul when that meeting didn't happen, but they were still listening ears and people who wanted to know this information. And that's one of the important parts about women's leadership. Correct? You know, we had. Um, we you know, found a closed door uh, when the peace process collapsed, but there was an open door with women leaders in Congress. Um, and that is one of the reasons why we work so hard to get them elected, no matter where we can, because women support women in those leadership roles. Um, and so we had this extraordinary meeting, <clears throat> excuse me, um, where because of the wonders of zoom and because of the ways that the pandemic has changed the world, that all, um, 100 of these women, like I said, were able to join. And we had, um, you know, simultaneous translation going, um, uh, in Dari and Pashto. And then we had, um, uh, open, open discussion and, um, the women able to submit questions to the policymakers and that kind of direct interaction, I think, um, wouldn't have necessarily been possible uh, just a few years ago. Um, but um, it was, you know, all 100 women were on the screen right next to, um, you know, Representative Jackie Spear and some of these other more, um, you know, longtime office holders um, in the U.S. Congress. And uh, fortunately, those... Um, Recommendations did make it into a lot of their thinking and a lot of their uh, kind of internal advocacy and um, made it into recommendations to the White House and have formed, um, you know, how they think still about uh, how to support Afghan women and girls going forward. Um, that was a, a, is a pretty major achievement to at least have all of those, um, those women on the phone having direct um, interaction with uh, members of Congress.
0: That is so incredible. The power of women organizing and coming together and, um, yeah, helping to equip and empower each other is just, is amazing. So thank you for sharing that.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, thank you guys for sharing about the Peace Forum. It was so great to hear from, you know, a, a it's I, just being an idea to execute through execution and the outcome of that sounds just absolutely incredible and having to shift to different circumstances. Um, Yeah. Such creativity. So thank you guys for sharing. Um, So yeah, Palwasha, I know you, you shared a bit about um, what it was like to leave the country with your family um, from a work perspective and something that you said that um, touched me was that in that time it was more important to survive. And so, you know, just, leaving had to, had to become the priority. So if you feel comfortable, I think we are hoping to hear a, a bit more about how that how that felt, what that was like when the peace process collapsed and what evac- evacuation looked like for you and your family.
2: Sure. Uh, first of all, thank you, Tanya for <laughs> focusing back on the 60 points uh, through women consultation. I uh, to be honest uh um, I don't recall everything <laughs> after being through all this trauma of leaving Afghanistan um, under circumstances that uh, you have been witness um it was not um it's, it it was difficult and very from different Perspective. First of all, um, although um, uh, for some months um, when Taliban were advancing and uh, they actually gave up on the peace process and they wanted to have a military win, we knew that um, uh, they will be sooner or later uh, in Kabul. Uh, but still, you know, like um, mentally, we were still not prepared to live, for instance, in that uh, that way. Um uh, uh, it, it, it was not a normal normal trip uh, because um, there have been sorry for so much emotion. I think a lot of women has put their life in their work in Afghanistan. Awake alone has been the product of women 30 years of work at a different time with very less resources with a lot of difficulty women have struggled to put something to change um, and it was making the change in the work and so it was not easy for me to just uh, close the door of the office and um, in my personal life also just to uh, pack your bags and uh, climb the plane it wasn't <laughs> it was not like that so uh, you literally had to leave everything uh, in few hours because the first day when taliban came i was still in office and my colleagues informed me and they came to my room and my program manager she was crying when she came to my room and she said the Taliban are um, next door, and they were all so terrified, and they want to leave to go to their home. And Kabul has very busy traffic. Maybe it's difficult for us to live then. So the next day we had to leave. We went to, um, we went to the airport actually. We went to airport because uh, uh, through our friends, our pickup was arranged. Um, but when we went to airport, um, uh, few people, at least four four person were killed that day. There was firing and all that, and we couldn't get near to the gate where we wanted. But I understand the same day, several of other our friends. Um, uh, either left or they never had that chance like it was a split of minutes that we got that chance and get in and we were sort of lucky to get in but then inside the airport it was terrible It was there was no place for two days we had to stay there um, uh, somehow um, I think it was the second night honestly I keep my memory lost, but uh, it was second or third night that we found our uh, place in one of the military plane. Um, we didn't know where we are going and uh, because we were thinking we are going to Qatar, but it went to Kuwait, another strange place we came and we were told I again, mean, if we go to one of the military bases, we will be helped with our paperwork and. All the stuff. So again, we decided, Okay, we went to this military base. Again, we didn't knew how much time it will take. Where will we be? And so we went to military base and it was... um, um, People came and tried to welcome us, but the base was very... um, with very tough conditions. But the good thing was, like, uh, we um, there was the head of the base was a woman, and she reached out to start speaking to us, and we spoke about our problem. So she made a lot of changes since we spoke to her. They give us additional blankets. They give us um, the food amount, not drastically, but uh, a lot of things become better. Uh. Yeah, and uh, but we spent like uh, one, uh, one month, We our paperwork work was done. And then the next month we were doing nothing, but we were sitting in base and nobody was processing, nobody was telling us when our work will be done, how long we will stay. And that was the terrible thing each person uh, was suffering. I saw um, that uh, some of the younger ones uh, become uh, depressed. My friend's son, uh, he started not talking to me. He was become quiet and he was not talking to anyone. Uh, And we slowly saw like the sign of depression. Uh, Somehow, uh, I know people tried to help us, Uh, the base people were trying to help us. But I think this whole process was so. Traumatic, and uh, that we didn't have the same strength to face everything like that. And I'm glad to, on the intervention of my friends and family. Uh, like three weeks before, uh, we we left the camp, the base, and now in Virginia. And so many of my friends are trying to help me to get over the housing situation, the settlement, the new environment, and it's it's helpful.
1: Thank you um, so much for sharing, Paulwasha. So vulnerably about something that happened so recently is just what I've what I've been thinking about. Is this isn't years ago, this was months ago. Um, and so thank you very much. I lost count of how many legs of travel, but it just seemed like so many, you know, different spaces of waiting, whether that was on a plane or in a bus or yeah, constantly switching hands and just in questioning where next. And so yeah, I, yeah, there are just no words. I, it sounds incredibly disorienting and um, definitely a testament to your strength. So um, perhaps as a closing question for this conversation to everyone here, um, where, where next, where do we go from here? What is Minas List working on currently um, that you would like us to know about?
4: I can jump in a little. Um, I think that, You know, just where this conversation has gone has shown um, just the incredibly difficult um, space that all Afghan women are in right now um, and what has been the consequences of a lack of peace um, that is very real and why we try so hard and fight so hard to have um, to have peace because the lack of it is um, very painful. And I think that um, for anyone following headlines, um, you know, folks know that Afghanistan is now in a, a pretty tough spot. Uh, not only are, is the country facing um, life under the governance of the Taliban, but also um, a, an acute humanitarian crisis that uh, Afghan women leaders have been warning about was coming for months and months, Um, you know, not only is is there a political crisis, but also um, a famine that has been exacerbated by months and months of drought. Uh, COVID-19 is still also, of course, a problem and a a major public health uh, crisis as well. Um, And in any crisis, in any humanitarian crisis uh, around the world, of course, women and girls bear the brunt of that. Um, So, uh, for Mina's list, of course, you know we are going to continue focusing on um, making sure that um, that it's not just headlines that policymakers take action to um, to relieve in whatever way is possible um, the suffering of, of millions and millions of Afghans and continue to um, support the refugee response that of course is uh, now, needed in many parts of the world, including here um, in the United States. Um, and always, as always, uh, making sure that women and girls and the unique needs that they face in those scenarios uh, are are never forgotten and are met. Um, but uh, we, as Mia's List, are going to be specifically focusing on um, making sure that um, our friends like, like Pawasha and other um, leaders of Afghanistan who spent their lives uh, building democracy and equality and fighting for women's uh, lives, uh, women's rights, can can rebuild their lives now uh, after this thing that they uh, have been through, um, that they can continue leading, continue doing their important work, um, but from wherever it is that they are. And so uh, from folks, folks here in the United States, we're actually um, – uh, in the middle of a fundraising campaign um, to make sure that um, resettled refugees, uh, women leaders have um, cash assistance. We feel very, very strongly that um, there, you know, there are lots of um, support and assistance options available uh, to folks who have just been displaced. Um, but cash is probably one of the most powerful ones because um, it's for them to decide how they... Can spend and what they need and how their um, how their needs uh, can be met uh, best. It's the most flexible, essentially, uh, which is what um, you know preserves decision making power and agency. Um, so we're going to try to um, uh, partner with um, ten um, women and their families. Um, to uh, to give um, some small grants there if we can um, raise about fifty thousand dollars so that um, folks could continue um, rebuilding their lives and and their incredible and important work that goes forward because the women and girls of afghanistan um, are in more need than they've ever been and so um those leaders who who did you know choose to to leave so that they can survive will will continue their work from wherever they are So that's what we're going to continue to support as Mina's List and um, just as women who, who care.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And, um, for our listeners, we're going to be sharing the link where you can give, um, to support those women and their families. Um, so definitely check it out in the episode description. And I just want to thank all of you for your time today and especially Paul Washa for being willing to share your story with such vulnerability. We just really honor you and grateful for you, um, being willing to share that with us. So thank you so much. And we're with you, um, you're not alone. We want to come alongside you um, however we can. So thank you so much. Mm-hmm.
4: Can we ask Pawasha if there's one specific thing that people of faith across the United States can do to support people like you
2: right now? I have no idea, but I think um, our faith is for us to be better human beings. And I think that make us one, um, uh, no matter how we do our prayers and, um, follow different paths, uh, but at the end, I think we all want to be better human being and, um, and that make us, uh, one and uh, we are uh, sharing the same values. Um, I think, um, uh, the shared values of humanities much beyond our race, color, um, faith path that we each are following. And, uh, refugees, I think today could be refugee, but tomorrow, uh, they could be your great supporter. Um, uh, you never know. Um, I've been working to support women for over 25 years um, and I feel bad, like uh, maybe I'm on another side of the line now and these lines can always reverse and change, but it's also good to understand that feeling uh, with those we are working. Uh, uh, and I think this was my unique chance in the whole process to understand all those uh, IDP few years back that for instance, I had uh, IDP, work and research that I've done, and I was sitting to, in those uh, cloth tents uh, in, in, in um, borders of Kabul. And uh, and one day I did a new, like, in the United States, I will be living in, under the same sort of tents, under the same sort of cloth borders. Um, and this can happen to all of us, and, uh, but it's important uh, not to lose ourselves. Um, and uh, respect each other's feeling and um, see the issue and problems of others as our own, um, and don't see yourself as a um, people who are provider or supporter. I think uh, we should own the problems uh, and understand that. Refugees, more than anything, uh, needs dignity that you can give them. Uh, that's it.
0: Thank you, Pawasha. Tanya, Teresa, did you want to add anything?
3: I just want to thank you all um, for this opportunity to to come together like this. Um, I was hand in hand with Pawasha for every of that um, harrowing awful journey and then um, and hearing her retell it um, you know it's 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 hard because um, because because I love her so much, <laughs> um, I think we all do, you know. But so having this opportunity to really, um, to, to come together, to share our stories, um, to talk so openly and to listen to each other with our hearts um, has been a really, really powerful um, experience and opportunity. And I'm, I'm grateful that you provided this, this um, you know, Becca and Allie, so thank you so much.
0: Wow. Oh, my goodness. That was incredibly um, powerful and, you know, hard to um, share, very hard for Pawasha to share. I feel so um, blessed and grateful that she's willing to um, just open up and and be so vulnerable um, about her experience. And um, I just can't even imagine, you know, what it was like um, having to go through something like that. yeah and just feeling very very hopeful at the thought of the work that you know she'll continue to do and and the work that Mina's list is continuing to do moving forward but yeah also just still heartbroken at at everything that's that's occurred um in the past few months so
1: yes yeah absolutely i mean not not having known anyone personally who experienced evacuation or the collapse of the Afghan government. Um, this was a first for me to hear how it's affected individuals. Um, and just to learn from her experience and, and hold her story is truly such an honor. And I just am thinking about the personal and collective traumas experienced, both by um, women, individuals like Paul Washer herself, um, but then just the larger country. And then even, you know, thinking about Tanya Henderson, who um had the I guess, yeah, honor, I don't know how she would say it, of of walking with Pawasha through all of the different points in the journey of, of fleeing the country and finally um settling here and just this the secondary trauma experienced from by her and so many others i'm sure who had family members in afghanistan or friends um and were part of that process as well obviously not directly but in in an indirect and intimate way um yeah so i i am just going to be thinking about um how to how to be sensitive to to those experiences that are still so recent and just the pain um the pain of that. So I also just feel so, so privileged to, to have heard, um, her story.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, I think that's such a great point that you're bringing up about, um, how we listen and give space, um, for people to be able to share their stories like that is, it's such a crucial, um, aspect of making peace, right. Is to, um, to be a good listener. Um, so I think I I feel grateful for that opportunity. And um, yeah, I would hope that we could all practice um, listening like that whenever given the opportunity. Um, I think something that really stood out to me um, from this conversation is, of course, like the obvious that, you know, with women <laughs> being included in peace processes and how crucial that is and Um, you know, so inspired by how Mina's List is continuing to carry out this work, even with everything that's, that's collapsed. Um, But they're not giving up. And, you know, they're creating these parallel structures and committees. And, um, you know, Tanya mentioned that, uh, I think they were setting up an Afghan women's parliament in Greece. And so, like, The activism, the organizing, the political leadership isn't going away. And um, that is really inspiring to me because it shows that, um, yeah, despite everything that's happened, um, there is still so much uh, passion and power in these women who are coming together um, to decide what they want their futures to look like. So really encouraged by that.
1: Right. Right. Yeah, I, yeah, I was also incredibly encouraged to hear the work that they're continuing to do and the history they have working in Afghanistan. Um, I think, you know, while we're for, for some of our audience, um, might be in, uh, the States or, um, so I guess I can only speak from, from my context of being in the States, you know, we, I, I kind of don't know don't know what to do or how to engage. And so hearing from an organization that knows the context well, that's actually been working there, um, you know, before the collapse of the government and um, what we've been hearing on the news recently, I think they're, they're the, the, the ideal, the best organization to learn from um, and to be inspired by they're in a, you know, incredibly unique position to respond um, because they understand the context best. And so, um, yeah, while we should all, you know, obviously do the work of understanding and educating ourselves, um, I think there's also such a benefit from learning from people and organizations that are, that have been doing the work already and that are, that have been based in the context.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I agree with you 5,000%. Um, that's such a great point. And I think that's why it's so important that we come alongside organizations like Mina's List to support the work that they are doing um, for Afghan women and to, you know, build a better future and and the hope that there can be um, something peaceful in the future as well. Um So I think, you know, for our listeners who maybe are asking like, well, what can I do? How can I help? Um, I love that, you know, Mina's List is focusing on the women whose lives have fallen apart and who had to flee and and leave behind everything, um, including Palwasha. So, you know, perhaps donating to this initiative that they're currently spearheading to provide um, assistance to those women and their families um, so that they can rebuild their lives. Um, and, you know, I'm I'm just thinking back to something Teresa had mentioned about the pandemic and on top of everything else, like, um, and how women and girls, you know, bear the brunt of the negative effects of these issues all the time, like no matter where they are. And so I think coming alongside them and and being willing to, yeah, take action like you said, listen and learn from those who who have been working on this um, for years and who've given their lives to it and then um, yeah, taking action by supporting what they're doing so
1: right, right. And I think yeah, with the point that you bring up about um, and that was brought up in the in our conversation, um, with women bearing the brunt of conflict and oppression and poverty and, um, you know, in the coat, in the pandemic, um, how that's affected women and girls. I, I think that that places women in a, in, again, in a unique position to respond and then to be leaders. I, I imagine that it, it creates more, um, more of a, a motivation or an impetus to be part of, a, you know, positive transformation um, in those areas. And, um, yeah, just the concept of, you know, being a, being a wounded healer and, um, being affected by something, um, and how that can in some way be transformed into positive change and whether that's, yeah, through advocacy or through a number of the initiatives that they're, um, spearheading.
0: Yeah, definitely thank you again to Pawasha and Tanya and Teresa it's been such an honor to have them on the podcast yes if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts and if you'd like more info about Peace Catalyst and to help support our peacebuilding work please visit our website at peacecatalyst.org